0: Good morning. How is everyone? Good. If you haven't met me, my name is Eric. and would love to get to know you and maybe answer any questions you have. Uh, we'd love to give you a gift as well out in uh, the courtyard at the welcome area. I also want to welcome all our friends and family online. Um, just a couple reminders. The 24th of October, that's Market of Hope, so make sure you mark your calendar. It's a A time when we reflect on how we're trying to share the gospel to the ends of the world and help people know who Christ is. Uh, Also want to let you know we have a family business meeting tonight where we just go over what's going on in the church and give you an update and all that fun stuff. So I'll be here at 630. And then uh, last thing is every year, December is our biggest uh, month of the year for giving. And so we're doing great. God is blessing us and we're excited for that. Uh, But also want to let you know that we are growing and adding more and more things to do to reach out to people and, and love our people. So if God would put that on your heart to, to give as December draws near, we just ask you to pray about that and consider us in that process. So with all of that, we find ourselves in Romans chapter 11. And um, if you've been tracking with us, Romans 9 through 11, some of the hardest chapters in all the Bible. And so uh, it's cool. It's fun. It's fun. Uh, But it's also, it's very challenging. So I hope God is challenging you as as he's challenging me. Everyone asks how I'm doing, and I say I'll be great when I hear Romans chapter 12. So uh, with that, here's maybe a way to help get us into the text is, uh, you know, I think sometimes we think the Bible is divorced from where we are. And when we really take a look at what's going on in the text is there's so much similar things on what they're challenged with, and, and what God calls us to in the midst of that challenge. And what, what you'll see is uh, when chaos happens in life, there, there are multiple levels that Christians react in chaos. Some is to say that there's the absence of God in chaos. Some um, want to take that chaos into their own hands and work out their own plans. Um, some people live in paralyzation and fear, and it causes them to crumble and not do anything And you're going to see all all of those types of responses in our text. And and what essentially happens is the the Jews are asking the question, and so are the Gentiles, has God failed? Because it is chaos. And what Paul's going to do through this passage, he's going to remind them kind of two things. Let's look at what God has said. Let's look at what God has done. And let's have hope in the midst of chaos for now and the future. And that's really going to walk us through where we could be. And so just start thinking through that, is how am I responding in present chaos? And and does it reflect the hope and glory of Jesus Christ and what I'm called to? And as we walk through it, so let's pray and uh, we'll hop in. Dear Jesus, we thank you so much uh, that you love us, that you've given us your word, that we can identify with uh, what's going on in the text. It's like, wow, for, for thousands of years, there's been people that have struggled to trust you Uh, But you're always faithful, and you remind us gently and sometimes sharply to trust you and be faithful. And so it's our deep prayer you'd speak to us through your words, that you would draw us close, and that you would help us uh, trust you more each day. We pray for your words and not mine. Uh, In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so first thing we want to do in surviving tough times or in chaos is remember God's promises, because this is one of the first things that gets forgotten. It is, what does God promise? And, and just to give you a little kind of semi-intro here is that uh, there really is this tension with a Jewish people. Has God forgotten about us? Does he still love us? And the Gentiles are kind of hopping on that train and going, yeah, he doesn't love you. We're the new kids. You've been kicked to the curb and God doesn't care about you. And so what is Paul saying? He's like, look, has God rejected his people? He's like, no, by no means has God done this. And so what you'll see is, is part of maybe we talked about in chaos is you'll take things in your own hands. Just think through the gospel, how many times you see zealots show up uh, in the Jewish line of thought that they're trying to take over Rome and they're like, hey, we're under Roman captivity. God said he'd give us a land and he'd make us a great nation. Well, if you've made those two promises, where's our land and where's our nation? Where's our king? And so maybe we need to kind of stir God's hand and make this happen. And so they're looking at Roman oppression, and they're like, God failed. And they're like, saying, no, God didn't fail. He's not done. So what Paul's going to do here is walk them through it. First thing he does is he says, God has not rejected his people. And hey, I preach to the Gentiles, but I'm a Jew too. I understand what it means to be from Abraham. I understand these promises you see in the text. And he's like, look, God knew this was going to happen, right and he says god's not caught off guard by this so don't don't think that god doesn't understand and he says we've seen this before in israel cuz keep this in your mind whenever there is chaos there's two things we're going to forget what god has said and what god has done elijah falls into this category okay verse 2 he says god has not rejected his people whom he foreknew but god knew they would sin they knew they would reject him he knew this would happen he's working out his plan don't you remember? Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he appeals to God against Israel. So what, what is he talking about? So essentially you have Elijah. He's a prophet. He goes in 1 Kings 18 to the prophets of Baal. And he has one of the most bold, crazy showdowns I've ever seen. It's, it's like my favorite story in all the Bible. And I say story meaning fact, like it's a literal event. But, and so when you see it, it's him and 450 prophets of Baal. And the, 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 the idea is that we're going to light a fire here. We're going to have a bunch of wood here and a bunch of wood here. And if Baal's real, Baal will make that wood turn into fire. And if our God's real, that wood will turn into fire. And it's fantastic because Elijah trash talks them the whole text. It's really cool, right? He's like, where's your God? Is he out to lunch? Is he in the bathroom? Is he sleeping? Like, why can't, what's going on? And they're cutting themselves and they're chanting and they're screaming. And he's just kind of making fun of them. Like, oh, that's really working, isn't it? And nothing happens. And then this is where he talks even more trash, right? He's like, hey, put water on the wood. Let's make it wet. Put more water on there. He's just like pouring it on. And all of a sudden, he prays, he asks God to send the fire. The fire comes, the 450 prophets are embarrassed. And what does the text say? That he went and he slaughtered all 450 prophets. That's a man's story, isn't it, right? Like You're like, wow. And then what happens some verse later? A little queen named Jezebel threatens to kill him and he runs. Right? You're like, dude, you just took on 450 prophets and God brought down fire right? And then what does he do? He runs, and he finds himself in First Kings chapter 19 saying, God, please kill me. Please take me away. There's no one left. She's killed them all. Well, what are the two things he forgot? What God has done and what God has said. Immediately, he forgot what God did, right? 450 prophets, fire, he's trash talking. All of a sudden, all that confidence is gone, and he's scared, and he doesn't want to live, so he, for, he forgot what God did from 18 to 19. I don't know if that's like a two-day span, a week, let's, a maximum a month. Within a month, he forgets this awesome encounter with God. I'd like to think if God brought down fire, I would never forget. But anyway, so I, I think I would maybe. So you, you look at that, but then there's also what God said, right? And so let's look at what's God's response within the text to Elijah. Verse 4, but what is God's reply to him? I have kept myself. 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So what is he saying? Look, there's still faithful people. You just don't know about them. And so for a minute, I think we can kind of identify with Elijah and maybe kind of think like, God, we we can't share our faith. We can't post online. We can't share at work. Like Christianity is canceled, right? We can't do anything. And God is saying, I know things that you don't. I'm working things that you don't. And I'm working things here and all around the world. Do not forget what I have done, but also do not forget what I have said. Because if Elijah would have remembered from the beginning what God had said, he would know that Israel is not gonna be forgotten. Israel is not gonna be deleted. God's gonna keep his promise. And yet Elijah, in a a moment of fear and in a moment of pain, He's like, just end it all. Take me now. God's like, no, no, no. There's still more to be done. And so again, as we find ourselves in a a moment of chaos, and you think things are falling apart, A, don't forget what God has done. And B, don't forget what God has said. And and don't forget that you were coming to a text where people have historically struggled, that because the world is falling apart, that maybe God's not there. God's love is absent. God's providence is absent. And it's like, no, no, no. So to really understand some of why Elijah is forgetting what God has said and the Jews are forgetting what God has said, we're gonna, we're gonna go back and we're gonna walk through this story. And what I need you to do is write down the references, be quick with your hands, okay? Take pictures, whatever you gotta do, because I'm gonna move through this kind of fast so that we can understand the full weight of why, why would a Jew even say, God has failed, has God's word failed? And why would Elijah, you know, so let's walk through this. So we're gonna start in Genesis, okay? Genesis 3.15, It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So this is God talking to Satan post fall, right? Adam and Eve sin, God goes to the garden, he talks, he's talking to him. So from this moment on, if you're a Jew, you're looking at when is the offspring from the woman going to crush the snake? And they said, when is he gonna crush the serpent's head? So from that moment on, They're looking for that warrior king in that moment. Now, as you move through it, you'll get into Abraham. This is why he says, I am of Abraham. He's saying, I'm a seed. Because God tells Abraham, Genesis 15, right? That he's going to bless all nations. And we've talked about that's not material wealth. That's not health. It's the gospel. We see that in Galatians. He's going to bring the gospel that Jesus has paid for your sins and offered a way for you to be right before a holy God. And that's to go everywhere, and God's going to do it through the Jews, through Abraham. And they're going to have a land, and they're going to have a kingdom, and they're going to do that. So they get this idea in their head that we're going to be a great nation, because we're going to bless all the nations through us, and we're going to be a kingdom, and we're going to have a king. So you see this start to build up from Old Testament now. Now look forward to the New Testament a little bit. What are they constantly trying to do in, in the Gospels? Make Jesus a literal king. You see this thing of John 6, they're trying to put a crown on his head and he's like running away. Jesus is like, no, right? Jesus says, hey, I'm going to go to the cross, I'm going to die. Peter's like, no. And then what does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. Why? Because he wants him to be a king. Why are they struggling with him going to the cross? Like, what about the kingdom? We're supposed to overthrow Rome. What about John the Baptist? He proclaims, here's the lamb. Then he goes into prison and he's like, wait, is he really the savior or is, is there another one coming? Because he's like, I'm in prison. Why am I still in prison? And see, what they're doing is they're prioritizing justice over salvation. We don't want to be oppressed. We want to be free. We don't want that. We want, it was Jesus saying, no, 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 justice will come later. Salvation comes first, okay? What do you see Jesus in, in the garden with Peter? They come, the guards come to get Jesus. What does Peter do? Grabs his sword, ready to fight. Jesus is like, no, now is not the time. Then Jesus comes back, Acts chapter 1. He's talking with the disciples. What do they say in Acts 1.6? Is now the time for you to restore the kingdom? And he's like, Father knows the time, not now. So they're constantly looking for this. And when they don't see it, they struggle. Okay. So this promise is all through the Old Testament into the New Testament. Okay. So now let's look at where's the land come in. So this is important. Genesis 15, 7 through 9. So this is God's promise to Abraham. So I want you to just kind of walk through this, see see what they're seeing and see what they're thinking. Verse 7, and he said to them, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur and to the Chaldeans and give you this land to possess. Uh, But he said, O Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Why is that important? That's the covenant part. God's making a covenant with Abraham, Okay. Verse 12, and as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. So here's a question, is Abraham awake? No, not a trick question, right? I'm not trying to trick you guys. He's not awake. Why is that important? Because God's making the covenant and it's an unconditional covenant because God's making it and Abraham's asleep. So there's no, if you, then I, it's I will, right? And behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. When the sun had got down, it was dark. Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river to Euphrates. So he gives some boundaries to this land. If you have a land, you have a, a people in the land. Those people need to be ruled by that land. You have a king. If you have a land and a king and a kingdom, And Israel's like, we want that. And then Genesis 3, he's going to crush the head of the snake. And so what they're looking at is we are in, you know, Israel, but it's not our land. And it's not, where's that promise? Where's that Genesis 3, Genesis 15 promise? And just to give you an idea of what's going on, here's a map. Here's the promised land. That's the blue line. And if you look at that little arrow where the brown is, that's the actual land. So you're looking at that, and you're a Jew, would it be fair to say, has God forgotten about us? It's not a straight question. Yeah, right? And this is the tension they find themselves in. Like, that's what was in Genesis chapter 15. This is what's going on. Now, if you fast forward in your text from AD 70 to about 1948, Jewish people, the Jews are not a nation. So, what happens in 1948? Right? Israel becomes a nation. Like, out of nowhere, they went from being slaughtered to all of a sudden, they are a people group again. They have a country. They have a land. And that's really because 1946, they find the Dead Sea Scrolls, and they're able to go to the United Nations and tell that, hey, the, the Muslims, you know, Islamic Quran, it doesn't predate our Bible. Our scriptures predate theirs. It's ours. And they go, yeah, it's yours. And all of a sudden, guess what? God didn't forget about Israel, did he? No, he didn't. So this this is very important. Look, they're trying to work it through. They're trying to understand. God made a promise, but we're, we're underneath Roman rule. We're oppressed. And Paul's saying, no, has God forgotten about his people? Has he rejected them? No, he hasn't. He's actually working a plan. But you're prioritizing justice over salvation. Jesus came for salvation first. He'll come for justice later. You need to trust him in the process. So let's look at some verses that kind of help us understand this a little bit more. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7 says, For us, a child is born. right? This is one of our favorite Christmas verses, but in there you'll see some things. To us, a son is given, and the what will be on his shoulders. Government will be on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Verse 7, On the increase of government and the peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the lord of hosts will do this so this is where the kingdom promise comes in that there is a promise that there will be a throne and a kingdom and the savior will reign on it and he'll bring justice and he'll make all things right right with god now there are brothers and sisters in christ who would probably disagree with this and they want to spiritualize the land and spiritualize the kingdom I just don't know how you make a metaphor out of land and a literal throne, right? So we love them, but the text, we're seeing it. God's going to do it what? Forever. And But what's happening is, this is why the, they ask in Acts 1, is now the time for the kingdom? He's going back to Isaiah, right? And he's like, it'll come later. Look at Psalm 89, 3, 4. It says, you have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant." I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Verse 34, I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went from my lips. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. That seems pretty specific, doesn't it? I will not lie. Verse 36, his offspring shall endure forever. His what? Throne as long as the sun before me. First Chronicles 7, 11 through 12. I know we're moving here. Just keep this in your head. When your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. But I will confirm him in my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. So he's getting to it over and over and over again that there is going to be a Messiah and he is going to make all things right from the throne. And what's going on with a Jewish audience is they want that right now. We don't like being under Roman oppression. We don't like our rights being violated. We don't like being persecuted. We don't like being treated as second and third class citizens. We want it now. And what Paul's getting at, yeah, but you have Christ. You have salvation. And they're like, we don't care about that. We can save ourselves. And it's like, no, 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 no. You're not saved by works. You're saved by grace. See, we fall into that temptation too, don't we? we like, oh, we'll come to church. We preach the gospel. You're like, yeah, I don't care if I'm saved. What do I do about the vaccine? Do I wear a mask? Do I send my kids to school? No, you love Jesus. Yeah, I don't care about that. Are you a Republican or a Democrat? It's like, no, you're missing the point. Right? Like, like we're... we're You've been saved, right? God's going to work out the injustice later. And what he's trying to do is get these two groups of people, your Jew and your Gentile, to get along and quit fighting. And then uh, through your commonality that you've been saved and God will make all things right, get together, stay the course, fulfill the mission, okay? So we'll keep working our way through this a little bit here. We're we're just doubling down and making sure we show our homework here. Luke 1.32, he will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, there will be no end. So it's very understandable if you're a Jew to be frustrated and think, here we are and there's no kingdom. And this is why they were so mad at Jesus. You're going to be the son of a carpenter and be a king? This is why Peter and the disciples get angry. Wait, you're going to die? You can't. You have to sit on the throne. you got to overthrow Rome. you got to rule. you got to reign. See, this is where when we don't see God working, sometimes we try to fill in our own gaps. Think of Judas. Oh, I'll force his hand. That's why last week it was like, don't try to bring God low or make God high. He makes his own decisions. You think of the zealots, they're going to overthrow it. You see what happens, we saw Elijah, he lives in fear. He doesn't want to act. She forgot what God said, he forgot what God did. But then there's this other extreme where we start to spiritualize everything we do. This is what God said, so I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to go kill him. I'm going to go betray Jesus and that'll force the kingdom to happen. And what Jesus is saying is like, no, I am the king and I will judge, it's just Later. See, God doesn't work fast enough for us sometimes, does he? And what Paul's getting at here is he hasn't forgotten you. He still loves you. He has a plan for you. And guess what? It's even better than you think. Because God's plan, he used, what, Israel to bring about salvation to the Gentiles. And he's going to use the Gentiles to bring back in the Jews. And it's going to be awesome. But If you guys could just stop fighting, you would realize that, point two, God will preserve a remnant. That's his point here. He's like, look, God set aside a group of people, Elijah. God's still working. He didn't forget. And that's what's great about Market of Hope is we're gonna see that God's working in Africa and he's working in India and Romania and Haiti and all these places. God's still working and doing things. And just because it's weird here in America doesn't mean that God's not working and God's not doing things. That God actually in in the midst of uh, chaos, actually does some of his greatest work. And he's saying, look, you got to still go out, Elijah. You're my prophet. You got to go. The sheep need to hear my voice. They need to know that I'm here. They need to know that I'm faithful. I still love them. So it doesn't matter how crazy culture gets. We can't get to the extremes where either A, we're so scared we don't do anything. We just, we hide. Or B, we start to weaponize Jesus and spiritualize everything we do. And we start saying, you're not a Christian if you vote this way. You're not a Christian if you don't wear a mask or you do wear a mask. You know, I'm a better Christian than you because I'm vaccinated, unvaccinated. I'm homeschooled. You're not. I go to public school. I'm better. I'm greater. All of that gets into this competition. That's not what the remnant's there for. The remnant's there for, for people to know God and his son Jesus, and that his son Jesus made a way for us to be with God through his death and payment for our sin on the cross. And so he's looking at this Jew Gentile audience going, hey, knock it off. Quit getting in this war. Well, we had the Bible. Well, you put Jesus on the cross. Well, you guys believed in many gods. We never did that. It's like, knock it off. You're both dead in sin and you're only saved because of Jesus. Get your act together. Get on the mission, right? And that's a little bit of what we got to realize is God's saved us for a reason. And the reason isn't to argue and fight and be a stumbling block for people to want to be Christians, Right? We can't be fearful. Our God's sovereign, so much so I hide in my house and do nothing. My God's sovereign, so much so that I ignore him and just run around and try to make things happen through the internet, gossip, and being mean to everyone who disagrees with me. What is he telling these Jews? Slow your roll. Chill out. God's on the throne. He's going to keep his promise. He loves you. He's working it out. Israel doesn't even become a nation for 2,000 years later. So did God keep his promise? Yeah, he's keeping it. Was it their timeline? No. Does anyone timeline 2,000 years? Like, no. That's right, Paul's like, whoa. God did not reject you. He loves you. You guys quit fighting. You're on the same team. You have a bigger mission. That's what the remnant's there for. You can't get distracted. You have to stay the course. Now he gets into verse 6. Point three, but it is by grace. It is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Why is he getting at that? Because he's trying to show the Jews, look, salvation is the most important thing. Because what they wanted to say is, we'll save ourselves. We have the law. Now make justice. And it's like, no, you can't save yourselves. Be be grateful. Be grateful because Christ does. He does what you can. not Justice will come later. You need to trust God that justice will come later. That's why in Romans 5, he says, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. God's going to make all things right. So, whatever government official, boss, you know, person at school, family member that you just want to strangle, God will deal with them. You can let it go. Okay? He'll make it right. He doesn't need you to be his justice warrior, he needs us to be his children. And he doesn't need, actually, he requires to be his children and to trust him. Because just like Israel thinks that God forgot about them, he didn't. He used them to, what, bring about salvation to the Gentiles. And then this text we'll get to, he's going to use the Gentiles to bring back the Jews. Like, God's always working. And he works mightily through chaos. And we need to be grateful that we're saved by grace. And so instead of figuring out how we can try to make things just and make things right, we need to figure out how can I respond that I've been saved by a great Savior? And how do I bring that to a dying world who's in chaos? How do I have an attitude that reflects trust, hope, and peace? So now it keeps working. What's our fourth point? What man means for evil, God uses for good. And this is what's fantastic about Paul's point here. He's going to work it through. He's like, don't catch, he's like, don't miss what God did. Because God did a beautiful thing. Verse seven. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were heartened. What is he getting at? He's like, Israel was seeking a king. The Sadducees wanted a king. The Pharisees wanted a king. The Zealots wanted a king. They sought it. They tried it. And it didn't work. It says it failed. But the elect obtained it, And the rest were hardened. So it's saying when they saw Christ go to the cross and then he's resurrected, they're mad. This carpenter who came from an illegitimate marriage child, weird thing, Mary Joseph, he can't be the king. That's wrong. How dare you say that? So they get more angry at when you bring up Jesus. That's not Messiah. Don't call him Messiah. He's no king. And what he's saying, God's going to use that. Work your way through this text with me. Verse 8. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. What is he saying? God confused them. And God made it. What does Jesus say to them? You do not hear, you do not understand, you're a wicked generation. He's telling them, to like, you guys don't get what I'm saying. You think I'm here to be a king, but right now I'm here to be a savior. I'm here to save the people. And the more he healed and the more he talked, the more angry they got. And the more angry they got, they went to have him crucified. Now, that's God working a plan, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah, and they're angry, and they're angry, and they're angry, and they go to Rome, and they want him on the cross, and they're riding, they're revolting, and they're like, all right, kill the guy. He must be bad. So Jesus goes to the cross. Why is that good news? Because without his perfect payment, we don't have a payment for our sins. So it's saying God's used the hardened heart of Israel, to bring about salvation. Keep working your way through this text with me. Nine, and David says, let their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. Why is David saying that? Because God's going to use that anger to put Jesus on the cross to bring about salvation. This is Paul saying, look, don't be caught off guard. God's been working a plan from Genesis 3 to crush the serpent and bring the good news to all nations everywhere, through Israel, through the church, back into Israel, and then God will send his son to bring justice. It's like God's got this under control. Quit freaking out. You don't like where you live, you don't like your county, you don't like your state, you don't like your schools. Chill. Justice will come. Trust the Father. He sent the Son. He loves you. He's working it out. And in bad things, he brings about good things. Through Israel's rejection, he brought about the church, the Gentiles. That's good news, isn't it? He's like, okay, then trust me. Now, verse 11. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they may fall? By no means. He's like, was this rejection pointless? Just to go, look, sinner, sinner, sinner? He's like, no, by no means. It was not an accident. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles as to make Israel jealous. Think about this. What makes Israel jealous? It's not, look at how rich we are. They have way more money than we do, right? It's not how healthy we are. It's not how smart we are. It's not that we're American and they're not. He's talking about Christians. What is it? It's the relational connection between God and his people. Because in Deuteronomy 6, What does he say? I will be your God and you will be my people. And they had this relationship where God did initiate this plan through Israel. And it's like, wait, the church, he loves them and they love him and they're suffering and they still love him and life is hard and they still love him and they're faithful to him and he's faithful to them. They see that and say, we want to come back in and accept Jesus as Messiah. We realize he is the Messiah promised in the Old Testament, and he's the king that will make everything right. See, it's that relationship we have with God that drives them back in. And then this is how he ends it in verse 12, and he makes it beautiful. He says, now if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more that will their full inclusion mean? He's saying, look how much more is to come when God brings them back into saving faith, into repentance. He's getting to the idea of Genesis chapter 50, right? When Joseph says, what man means for evil, God means for good. That what Israel tried to do by putting him on the cross, God brought about salvation. And what they're going to try to do in persecuting the church And hurting the Christian, it's going to draw Israel back because they're going to see that love and faithfulness and commitment. And they're going to come back. And even when they come back, even greater things will happen. That's an incredible amount of hope for a Christian. That through the darkest, deepest of things, God will bring about hope and God will bring about restoration. But oftentimes it's through absolute, pure chaos that we create as sinners And God says that he wasn't caught off guard by this. He says, this is Israel who I foreknew. God is not up in heaven confused. Like what? COVID? Oh my gosh. And all this craziness. And I didn't know. I better figure this out. You guys hold on while I figure this out. I'll get back to your prayers in 20 minutes. Like no. He foreknew. He's not absent. He did not forget. We don't need to take things into our own hands. We don't need to run and hide. We need to trust him. I heard a good uh, illustration of this from a guy in our church. Uh, he was telling me he went to, uh, he went to the, the doctor to get checked out. And he saw a man in the parking lot crying. And he went to the man and he was like, hey, uh, how, how are you doing? Is everything okay? And he said, he said, no, I don't know. He said that his wife had been unfaithful to him and that he had to go to the doctor to get tested to see if anything was wrong with him. And he said in the process of that test, he found out that he had cancer. And essentially he says, I don't know if I should be mad at my wife or thank my wife, right? And so what's, what's the question? Because if he hadn't gotten the test, he wouldn't have known he had cancer. If he didn't know he had cancer, he would have found out way later. Who knows if it's too late to do anything, too late to treat. So here's the thing. Does God want the woman to cheat on the husband? No. But did God use that? bad work, to bring about something good for this man? Absolutely. Absolutely. So then how much more can we trust God, whether it's getting a vaccine, not getting a vaccine, wearing a mask, not wearing a mask, homeschooling your kid, not homeschooling your kid, leaving California, staying, keeping your job, losing your job, can God work through it? Absolutely. He can work for it for our good and his glory. And that's his point with Israel. How much more? How much greater is it God will include Israel through the faithful obedience of the church? Well, guess what that means? We need to be faithful and, be- and obedient and so that God can keep working his plan out. We can't get distracted with all of the secondary things that don't matter. Here's the thing. When you get to heaven, it's not going to be like, oh, vaccinated, unvaccinated, vaccinated, unvaccinated, right? Homeschooled, public school, right? Like stayed in California, left California, Like, no. Christ, payment for your sin? Yes. No payment of sin. That's it. So we can't sit here and fight each other and get mad at each other and beat each other because we're angry that they have a, a vaccine and we don't, or they're keeping their kid in public school, or they're not, and they're ruining their lives and they're bad Christians. Like, no. This is the point that Israel and the church, different testimonies, same father, same savior, both debt and sin only made alive in Christ through the saving work of Jesus Christ. Stop your bickering, stop your fighting, stop your competing. Worship God, serve Christ, and do it together. That's the mission he's keeping them on. We can't fall prey to that because the reality is we might have different decisions and God will work through both of them. I'm sure God will do great things through kids who are homeschooled. I'm also sure that there's kids in public schools that need Jesus, Right? Yes, and and there's going to be Christian kids that God will use to minister to them and speak to them. It's very possible that we can be on opposite sides, but God will use both sides for his glory. Right? Is that too big of a statement? No. That's a fantastic statement. Why? Because 12, how much more will their full inclusion mean? He's like, look, you guys think it's bad. Israel failed. No, it's going to be even greater because I'm going to bring them back into faith. I keep my word. I keep my promises. You can trust me. And so when you look at Israel, God keeps his promise. But you look to us too, he also keeps his promise of Romans 8. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. That we can never escape his love. He's always there. That he does work all things for our good. According to those who love him, according to his purpose, we can trust him. But we can't, respond in fear like Elijah or respond as zealots like that we see in the gospels and try to force the kingdom try to force God's hand we have to trust that God has us where we are and we need to think through what does this mean for us and what is God calling us to? so conclusion either way God has a plan and he's working it out and we're the church and we're his children and we're a part of it and we need to trust him but maybe here's some encouragement a little bit I can appreciate the amount of research and effort that is being given by people to love their kids and love their families, okay? And I get it, and I appreciate that. But if we could just take half that energy and channel it towards researching here, I think it would make everyone a lot better, right? Instead of going to the Google search, go to your Bible. Go to your Bible. What does God say about trusting him? Because what you'll find is over and over again there are Christians just like you and just like me who wanted to run and hide or wanted to kill and take things into their own hands. And God goes, whoa, slow your roll. Just trust me. Trust me. I'm in charge. I'll make all things right. I'm your father. I know what's best. And you'll get examples of John the Baptist staying in prison, examples of Paul singing in prison, examples of Elijah conquering one second and crying the next second. And you'll go, ah, he's just like me. I get it, and God tells him to be faithful, and he tells him to trust, and I need to do that, and then that will help shape our attitudes as we look at Jeremiah, go go through the whole book of Jeremiah, you know no one gives their life to Christ in the book of Jeremiah, that's depressing, isn't it, isn't it, okay, so I mean, think about, if we're going through all this, I know God's already bought people to faith, and that's better than Jeremiah had it, Right? But you read that and then you read Lamentations and Jeremiah's weeping because no one's being saved. They're being unholy and his heart is broken because they are offending a holy God and they're not listening. And right? you read, it's Work look at Job. Job doesn't do anything. God just says, hey, Job, you're going to suffer and you're going to show Satan how much you love me. Right? And so for us to say, God, I don't deserve this. Neither did Job, so to speak. And then Job gets angry, and what does God say? Where were you when I created the stars? And Job goes, oh yeah, I wasn't there. He's like, then stop talking. Okay, I'll stop talking. Right? We need to stop talking sometimes. We need to be faithful. That's what Take that energy. I appreciate the health concerns and the schooling concerns and all of that. And that's good. And we want to be thoughtful and prayerful. Let's just take a huge chunk of that, divert it right here, let this guide our heart, and then come over here. And then when we're praying about do we move, do we stay, do we keep our job, do we vax, do we not vax, do we wear a mask, what do we do? It comes not from a place of fear and not from being a zealot, but from trusting the Father that he's guiding us to use whatever it is we're about to go through for his glory. And he's going to use it and we can trust him. And then we can come out on different sides of what we're doing, and God will use both of us because we're his children, right? So let's look at some, some implications of the sovereign King. And that's what we've entitled this series. If you're looking through this, what's Paul getting at? God's in charge. Trust him. And if he's in charge, then the fruit of the Spirit need to be evident that we can be patient, that we can be kind. We don't need to strangle people who we disagree with. We don't need to go online and bash them and call them out. We don't need to gossip about the people who are doing things we don't agree with that if the Jew and the Gentile can come together in Christ, so can the vaxxer and the non vaxer and the masker and the non-masker and the homeschooler and the non-homeschooler and the Californian and the Adahodian, right? Like all of it, right? I made that word up, I know. So, but if you look at that, God can work it through and we're gonna trust him. We can have kindness and gentleness and self-control. We don't have to go nuclear every time we turn on Fox News or get an email, right? The fruit of the spirit are there. Because part of God's plan, what he's getting on, is that we're going to be a light to the nations. We're not a good light if we're like, our God is so sovereign, we hide in the dark and cry. Or our God is so sovereign, we just take it into our own hands and try to force everything on people. No, our God is so sovereign, we trust him. Yeah, we don't like this. And yes, this frustrates us. And yes, we wish things were different. But so do Christians in China and Afghanistan and Iraq and India. They wish it was different in their country too. So did the Christians in Rome in in this letter. They wished it was different, too. But the mission is still the same, to trust Jesus, to trust God, and greater to trust that God can work through the chaos for his glory and for our good. Right? Okay, so some questions to ask ourselves. Do we model a lifestyle of hope? Do we model a lifestyle of hope? Because that's what 12 is driving at. How much more will their full inclusion mean? How much more? He's trying to get them excited. God's going to do great things through the church to bring back Israel. It's going to be fantastic. Do we live in that same kind of hope? Yeah, this is terrible, and God's going to do something. It's going to be fantastic. I don't know what it is, but I trust Him. Well, don't you want to quit your job? Oh yeah, I'd quit it if I didn't need food. Well, don't you want to move? Oh, yeah, I'd quit it if I had a different job. Well then, how are you hopeful? Because of Jesus? Someone's going to see God's goodness through obedience. I'm just going to trust him. I'm hopeful he can take this chaos and make something out of it. Right? Question two, how does our suffering compare to the Old and New Testament Christian suffering? First service chuckle. That's kind of redundant. Very poor compared to theirs. Would we agree with that? Yeah. You don't have anyone trying to chase you down and kill you like Elijah, do you? If you do, come see me. I, I know some guys. So... But we don't, right? We don't. What's the point for me saying that? Not to make you feel guilty. Give you hope. If God can be with them, he could be with us. Right? Yeah, that's what it is. It's hope. It's to give us hope. Do you struggle to believe that God keeps his word? That's what the Jews are struggling with. What about us? He forgot about us. No, he didn't forget about you. He loves you. He's with you. It just doesn't mean you're not going to suffer and you're not going to have hard times and you're not going to want to quit and you're not going to want to give up. All those things are going to happen but his word's still true. Remember, remember what he did. Remember what he said. You gotta have both. If you do both of those, then you work on trusting him. But it's hard to trust when you don't know what he did and you don't know what he said. That's why we gotta read our Bibles. Fair? Yeah? Okay. Are you currently sharing your faith with a non-Christian? Because that's part of this plan working out. So we're to share, we're to go. Remember last week, blessed are the feet, are those who bring good news. We're to bring the good news. If you're sharing your faith, keep sharing it. If you're not, start praying. Think of a non-Christian and start praying God would bring an opportunity. You don't need to stand on a quarter and slap someone with your Bible. You need to find somebody you know, pray for them, love them, and share and trust that God will do the work. That's between them and the Lord. Our job is to share, to complete the mission, to keep going to the full inclusion, right? Last question. How does understanding that Jesus is your sovereign king bring peace, hope, and joy into your life? Because we're supposed to get to passages like this and just go, oh, he's got it under control. He's got it under control. He's got Israel, he's got us, he's got it all worked out. We just need to be faithful. That should just ease your tension and ease your stress and go, you know what, this might hurt, it might be hard, but I trust him, he loves me, I'm not alone. These Christians are going through it. Those Christians went through it. Future Christians will go through it. And whether he comes now or he comes later, he's with me and I'm with him in heaven for eternity. And that's gonna way outweigh whatever it is I go through here, right? That's what what he's getting at, the sovereignty of God. Oh, I'm at peace. He's gonna make it right. The sovereignty of God. I have hope that he can make all things right in the future, that he will be with me. I'm not alone. And joy, no one can ever take me from the King. one can ever take me from that. That's our joy. That's our salvation. So those are some things for us to think through. How much more will their full inclusion leave? How much more? Is that not full of hope? Amen. Let's pray. God, we love you and we praise you and we thank you that you love us and that you have a plan and you're working out your plan from the beginning to the end and we get to be a part of it. That's just such a blessing. That's such an amazing gift that you Would be mindful of us, that you would think of us, you would consider us, you would love us. Once enemy, now children. So it's our deep prayer that we would have grateful hearts, that we would have faithful hearts. And no matter where we fall in this crazy world, that we would come together, trusting you, loving you, working together for your glory, to give hope to the nations and to give hope to other Christians that you're on the throne, you have not forgotten. You are not caught off guard. You love us. We can trust you. And may we celebrate that now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.